0: Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. One of the most important aspects of the teaching of the return of Jesus Christ is the future of the world that the Bible calls the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. What is the millennium and the kingdom of God on earth going to be like after Jesus returns? The Bible tells us that the last chapter of history will be the return of Jesus Christ. When he returns, he'll set up the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. Today, his kingdom is in our hearts, but his kingdom is coming in a visible historical way at his return. The Bible calls this time of history the millennium or the thousand years. Now, while the thousand years is probably not an actual number, since the book of Revelation uses numbers to represent spiritual principles, it does describe the golden age of the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of righteousness and peace. And those two words really describe the quality of life in the millennium. Righteousness in earth, and peace as a result of things being right with God. The actual term millennium, or thousand years, only appears in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Well, the first truth that John the Apostle tells us about the millennium is that Satan is bound, which means that evil now is completely restrained. He writes, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil, or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. That's Revelation 20 verses one through three. So in the millennium, Satan is bound. Evil is completely restrained. Today, evil runs rampant in the world and causes all the problems that we experience personally, nationally, globally. But in the millennium, when Jesus returns, Satan is bound. Second of all, he tells us the saints or God's people is what that word means. The saints will reign. John continues to write in Revelation 20, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and did not receive his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. I love this next statement. Blessed and holy are those who have their share in the first resurrection. The second death, that is eternal death, has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years, verses four through six. So what that basically tells us is that during the millennium, God's people will be in authority. They'll not be persecuted. As we see here, they'll not be martyrs as has gone on throughout history. So John's given us a sense of our place in the world, our place in the kingdom of God. This is also a promise of Jesus given early in Revelation 3 and 21 to him who overcomes, he writes and says, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So here's a symbolic, prophetic representation of a truth. Instead of being conquered and persecuted, we will reign with Christ. Third of all, he tells us in the millennium that evil will come to an end. There's coming a day that evil will be completely abolished from this world. John the Apostle continues, and he writes, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur or the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verses 7 through 10 of Revelation 20. Now I know when you hear all of that, you probably look at so many of the specifics and have a lot of questions. Some of the specifics about, well, who are the dead that come to life later? What does it mean to reign with Christ? And why is the devil let out of the abyss and out of the prison in the first place? What is Gog and Magog? Well, that's is a term used in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. It is also used here in Revelation. It just describes evil, a kingdom of evil, any kingdom of power in evil. Well, I don't want to get into all those specific details, and I think some of that still is kind of a mystery to us, but I wanted you to get the main truths, that Christ is returning, that Satan will be bound, that evil will ultimately be destroyed in the, the lake of fire. And fire describes the complete destruction of a chemical property of matter. Fire destroys something. That's what the lake of fire, the lake of burning sulfur. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, it was a, a hailstorm of burning sulfur. And so that same description is used. That this is a final judgment of God. It's so important in reading the book of Revelation and the apocalyptic images throughout even the Old Testament that you don't put too much emphasis on every little detail because every little detail is not important in and of itself, but it's giving you a bigger picture. So I want you to get the main truths and don't get distracted by all the details and the different people that have all these interpretations because nobody really can explain everything. But God wants us to see the big picture. Christ is coming. Evil is going to be destroyed. The Satan is going to be bound. You and I are going to rule and reign with Christ. Now, when it comes to understanding the millennial kingdom and what it means, it's important to know that Bible teachers and scholars over the years have held three different views of what the millennium means. Now, the millennium, while that word is only used here in Revelation 20, meaning a thousand years, it is also called by other names. There are glimpses of the millennium given throughout the Bible, and it's described in different ways. For example, the millennium is called the last days in Isaiah 2 and 1. In the last days, God will establish his kingdom. It's called the day of the Lord in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 1, when Christ returns the day or the era of the Lord's reign. Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 18 and 3. It's called the renewal of all things in Matthew 19 and 28 because since Eden the world has been imperfect. So there's a renewal of all things and the apostle Peter used a very similar term of the millennium when Jesus returns the restoration of all things in Acts 319. Hebrews 6 and 5 calls it the age to come. We live in the present age of sin and suffering. Christ is going to return, and he's going to bring us to the age that is to come, the age of paradise, the age of Christ's rule on earth, the age of God's perfection when he completes his purpose for history. So let's look at these three different views that people have about what the millennium even means. So, the first view is what's called amillennialism. In other words, there is no literal millennium. So, these people say there's no literal kingdom age of Christ, that the Revelation 20 passage about the thousand years simply refers to this period of history when believers in heaven rule with Christ. In other words, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. So they say, well, there's not really a millennium on the earth. It's a description that we are reigning with Christ. And Well, it is true that we will be with Christ in heaven. But I believe the millennium is a description of life in this world when Jesus returns. But that is the position. And it's important for you to know that some people hold the view that, well, there's no actual millennium on earth, that it describes eternal life in heaven. The second position is what's called post-millennialism that says, well, the world will eventually be transformed into a Christian world, a Christian culture by the influence of the church. In other words, that the evangelism of the gospel and the preaching of Jesus, will or eventually people will come to repentance and come to faith in Christ. They will begin to live in peace and righteousness. That is a kind of a natural evolution of history. But, you know, the church has been involved in its ministry for 2,000 years, and we see the world today and more problems than we've ever seen it. So if that's true, we're a long way from having a world of righteousness and peace. And I would also say that you can't really have a kingdom without the king. So to say there's the kingdom of God on earth that you and I are capable, even as Christians, of producing that— does not seem to be realistic because we've not been able to do that now. We're Christians in the midst of a hostile world, in a fallen world, but we're preaching the gospel, reaching out to people. A world that's under judgment, we're bringing them a gospel of grace and hope and salvation, but that doesn't mean that the gospel is going to take over every nation, every political structure, every economic structure. Only Christ can do that. So you can't really have the kingdom age without the kingdom, and so we pray as John did in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20, amen, come Lord Jesus. We are looking for his return. Only Christ's return can fix the world. The third position, which is what I hold to, and most Christians and ministers teach the pre-millennial return of Jesus. Before the premillennial. millennial simply means that before you, you can have a millennial kingdom of righteousness and peace, Jesus returns first to establish his reign on the earth. The early church believed in the premillennial return of Jesus. They believed that Jesus could come at any moment. And it was centuries later that these other positions like amillennialism or postmillennialism even appeared. Do you remember when The disciples asked Jesus as they stood on the Mount of Olives right before he went to heaven after his resurrection, the question they asked him in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, they stand on the Mount of Olives, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You see, they were looking for the second coming of Jesus even before he suddenly disappeared from their eyes and returned to heaven. And they knew that when Jesus would return, the kingdom would come. And then standing there, two men dressed in white angels, what did they say to the messengers of God, you men from Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So the early church believed that Jesus will return literally and that he will establish his kingdom. And when Jesus comes the second time, the Lord's prayer that he gave us will finally be fulfilled in all of its implications when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ is coming again. A new world order will be established. And our next teachings, I want to tell you more about what life will be like when Jesus returns. Let's join together in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that we are citizens of the kingdom through faith in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless your people as together we make an impact in the world for Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for spending this time with me today as we study the word of God. Let me encourage you to subscribe to my social media, follow me on social media, as well as the church, Mount Perrin Church. And make sure that you share... And subscribe to the podcast. Get as many people as you can in your family, your friends to listen to the word of God. It will change their life. Thank you for your faithful partnership in ministry. And I trust that you'll find it in your heart. No matter where you are in the world, no matter where you listen or watch the media ministry, I want to thank you for your partnership in ministry and ask that you would prayerfully consider supporting the church and our outreaches and our missions work and our media ministry with your own offerings of gratitude, which you can do online with the Mount Parent app. And I thank you for your giving to support the work of the ministry. I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family in church this Sunday. We've got a great day planned. Make every effort to be here. If you can't be here on campus, certainly online. I trust that you'll have a great day as God continues to bless you richly. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.